Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Sullis, and with me, as always, is my very, very, very talented friend, who was a beast in all the right ways, the mixtress DC, Gina. <laughs> hey, Louise, how are you today? I'm good. You feeling beastly today? I mean, I'm feeling um, vaccinated today a little bit, so I'm feeling good. First one down, one to go. That's good. Yeah. There you go. Got to go. make sure you count those days. Yeah. I'm going to choose a superpower after that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> One more to add to the list. Uh, yeah. I'd like to see through walls. Oh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't think I want to do that one. I think I'd see way too much shit that I don't want to see. I think I would like that. But keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> okay. So speaking of beasts, I think we as humans can learn a few things from the animal kingdom. Don't you? Just a few things. Like humans, some animals are more kind and willing to lend a helping hand, a paw, a hoof, or even some cases, a fin to a man in need. And here's one amazing example that involves a marathon swimmer, a pod of dolphins, and one great white shark. Ready? I'm listening. Yeah. All right. So Adam Walker, a marathon swimmer, was midway in his swim across New Zealand's Cook Strait when he realized there was a giant seven-foot great white shark quickly approaching. He was just closing in on him. Now, out of nowhere came a pod of 10 dolphins to his rescue. They swarmed around Adam and they protected him from the shark for more than 90 minutes. They actually stayed with him until the shark finally gave up and apparently went to go find lunch somewhere else. Because, you know, sharks are afraid of dolphins when they're, you know. Once the dolphins realized that Adam was out of harm's way, they swam away just as quickly as they appeared. It's amazing. That's amazing. It's true. It's a true story. It's a true story. And they apparently, what's the other amazing thing is that Adam stayed in the water because there was a boat, apparently. His team was there, um, but he never left the water. So it basically took him over eight hours to swim this. Anyway, talking about amazing stories and acts of caring brings me to today's designated drinker. See, he is DC Central Kitchen's Chief Executive Officer, Mike Curtin. Welcome to the show, Mike. Well, thank you, Louise. It's great to be here. That I've, I have to say, I've been introduced a lot of different times in a lot of different ways, but never like that. And that's crazy. I got to say, that guy in the water, got, he's got a lot going for him that I certainly don't. But I, I appreciate the reference. A lot of cojones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you're kind of like the dolphin in that story. One of the many. I can, I can see that. You know, actually, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we we do, and maybe it's like I guess Adam is a swimmer. Yes. You know, at the kitchen, we try to do things that people say, or we we try we do things, we seek out things to do that people say we can't do or we shouldn't do or that are too hard, right? And there's always there's always an easier path, and, and our sort of vision of that is like, well, then someone else will do that. You know, our role is to swim that cook straight, is to do those things. If for no other reason to prove it can be done and to show others they should follow. That's awesome. So let's jump right in. Tell our listeners, please, what is DC Central Kitchen? So we are a, a food-based nonprofit or social enterprise nonprofit. Probably the easiest way to, to look at us is, is, is just sort of dive into our, our mission statement, which is using food as a tool. And here's a quiz for your audience. So when, when I talk to people, I talk to groups, they say, okay, here's our mission statement. Using food as a tool to strengthen bodies, empower minds, and build communities. And then I say, okay, what's the most important word in that mission statement? 
its tool. And the hint, of course, was that I kept emphasizing that. But inevitably, people will say food. And I'll say, no, exactly wrong. So the food is, is the means, it's not the end. And, and it's we, we sort of live this way because the kitchen is, is based on, on two principles that have fed up into this mission statement. So the first is that food will never end hunger. Right? We're not going to feed our way out of hunger. This is something we've tried in this country for decades. Give away enough free food, people will stop being hungry. Bullshit, it'll never happen. Right? It just hasn't. It's not going to. Um, what we have to do is get people to a place of self-sufficiency so we don't have to give away free food. That's the, the whole. We're in business, in essence, to put ourselves out of that part of our business. The other piece that's really important to understand when you, you're thinking, talk about DC Central Kitchen is that it was it came out of a disappointing, frustrating, confusing volunteer experience that our founder, Robert Egger, had here in Washington, D.C., handing out sandwiches and coffee to men and women living on the streets of D.C. Um, and, and he realized that that while the people, the individuals that were doing this were well-intentioned and, and had love in their hearts, um, it was really representative of this larger idea of charity, which, again, unintentionally had become more about the redemption of the giver and not the liberation of the receiver. So, so at the kitchen, we focus on using food as a tool strengthen bodies, empower minds, and create community. And all of those things are liberating. Like everything that we do has to be about liberation, opportunity, moving forward, getting to that better place. Uh, so ultimately, that's why instead of focusing just on food, we've really focused on training, culinary job training, working with individuals who have faced immense barriers to employment like histories of incarceration, addiction, trafficking, abuse, homelessness, or other traumas, to get them jobs in the hospitality industry, so they can uh, have self-sufficiency moving on to that that better place. In a nutshell, that's the kitchen. I think it's amazing. When we spoke earlier, um, a couple of days ago, you were telling me that it was the the it's using the power of food, and that it's that in what you just described, combining nourishment, nourishing the body, which obviously people who are hungry need this is obviously for life, death situations, of course. But to your point, how do you help them move on beyond where they are so that I, I, I think it's amazing when you when you said you can't feed away hunger. For me, that was just like eye opening because without giving somebody the tools in which to be able to move forward and move on and be able to be self-sustaining, you are not, you're well, it's a Band-Aid, I guess. And it, 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 when sure. you describe it to me, it's amazing. I, it, it really Absolutely. was eye-opening, so thank so you. It, it's, it, it goes back to the old proverb that's been co-opted by just about everyone. It depends what refrigerator door magnet or bumper sticker you read. It could be a Chinese proverb. It's an African proverb. It's a Middle Eastern proverb. But give someone a fish, feed them for a day, teach them to fish, uh, feed them for a lifetime. Uh, but we, we, we think in terms of what I mentioned, that we're, we're, we're a social enterprise. So we, we actually run businesses. We earn over half of our income through catering, food contracts, our locally sourced scratch cook school food business, our wholesale business. Um, so we're really, we can feed people, sure. We can train people. But then as an old Jesuit priest uh, said to me when I was at high school at Gonzaga, he, he said, that's great, but what if all the fishermen are unemployed? So like, hmm, okay. So we have to create, we have, so basically we have to figure out a new way to fish to go back to our to your introduction and in, in, um, in our time in New Zealand there. So uh, we have to create opportunities for these individuals to become employed and to challenge the systems that have kept them unemployed today. So that that's really where we're, our focus is going forward. 
Mike, can you tell Louise about a couple of like so in DC, it's amazing your the reach that DC Central Kitchen has. And over the last, I would say, decade, it really changed with um, new facilities and everything. Can you kind of like talk up a little bit about all of us, like just like the, the four main campuses or the four facilities you have that DC Central Kitchen is involved in? Because I think a lot of people, you know, especially the local listeners in, in, D in DC, only assume that it, that DC Central Kitchen basically either feeds homeless or or some people may know that you do do school lunches but they don't actually know all of it. And it's so, there's so much. So like, I feel like to glaze over it, you know. Sure, is, well, thank you, Gina, I appreciate that. So, yeah, so when, when I started at the kitchen 16 plus years ago now, we, we, I, we, everyone was in the basement of this homeless shelter where I am now. Uh, it's one of the largest in the country, at second and D. Um, and we, everything we did, we did here. Um, but actually, you know, in, in reaction to certain things that are a response to certain things that happened to us, challenges that we faced, um, including the recession in 2008, we really felt that we had to expand our mission, but expand it in a way that was not only scalable, but sustainable. So that is to say, it wasn't relying on philanthropy. Uh, and, and so we, we basically had to create more business by doing business. And that's really when we stepped into the school food arena. Uh, we started doing locally sourced scratch cooked school food. Again, this was 2008. Now everyone does it. You know, the, the, you know a, a lot of the stuff that we've been doing for a long time is very cool now. There are apps for that. There's there's some boxes on TV now that you can buy for like, you know, imperfect foods and, and shit. We've been doing that for 32 years. I mean, that, our, our model is based on imperfect foods. Uh, and, and when we started buying locally directly from from farmers from southern Pennsylvania, the Shenandoah Valley, we started by buying aesthetically or geometrically challenged products. Uh, to put make sure our economic impact could expand outside the DC area, and then as we brought this product in, we were able to put that into the school food business. So we started doing locally sourced scratch cook school meals at one school in in 2008, expanded to DC public schools um, in 2010, and now are in 13 schools throughout the city. Uh, but most and, and that that's about a six million dollar uh, annual revenue piece of business. But more importantly, it's created jobs for about 65 individuals, most of whom have graduated from our culinary job training program. So we have that. And to, and to support that, we've opened a second production facility in Northeast that we refer loving, lovingly to as the Nutrition Lab. Um, in, in May of 2019, we opened up a cafe over in Southeast D.C. I was there this week. Oh, is I that where you got your shot? for the first time. What? No, I was over there um, delivering lunch, actually. Oh, oh right. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Thank you. That was awesome. We, I want to make sure we thank you for that. But um, so we, we that was our first cafe and we started that cafe there not to get into the cafe business, but because to be part of that larger nonprofit community and support system that exists at the ARC, which is the Town Hall Education, Arts and Recreation Center, so that we could run a training program specifically for what we refer to as opportunity use. Uh, folks ages 18 to 24 who are not in school, they're not working, they're just, they're struggling, they're, they're searching, they're lost, they don't know what's next and where to go. Uh, and so we've created a, a space where they can have a, have a place to be and a place to learn and a place to grow. Um, and what's pathetically and criminally sad about our city is, is one in three, one in three uh, individuals, 18 to 24, east of the Anacostia River, living in Ward 7 and 8, fall into that group of individuals. That's the next generation that 
is is woefully behind and not where they want to be. And this is the capital of the United States of America. That is a huge, huge problem. So we're and and so that's where we are. And then the big news going forward is we'll be opening our another cafe in the newly renovated Martin Luther King Library, um, named Mary Ann's in honor of our good friend Marianne Ali, who, who was here for 20 years, um, changing lives and doing amazing things, and passed a few years ago after a, a battle with cancer. Um, and then we'll be opening in early 2022 uh, a brand new 36,000-square-foot space down at Buzzard Point in Ward 6, where we'll bring all of m- many of these things back together in a really beautiful, powerful, innovative. Will you leave the, you won't leave where you we, are we now will. currently, um, will and, 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 you know, quite frankly, Dina, and, and we, this place should have been left a long time ago. Uh, this building is, uh, you know, we, we've, we've, We've been here at the largesse and, and the generosity of the city for years. We don't pay rent. Um, but as I often say, we, we get exactly what we pay for. Um, this is this is a challenging building. Uh, we've outgrown it many, many times over. And eventually this building will be, become something else. And we, we wanted it to be in front of that. We didn't want to be forced to move. We wanted to move. So we've been looking for quite some time. Uh, we found a place that suits so many of our needs. And really moves us out of the basement, the shadows where we've been, out into the forefront of of a, of a growing community to really to be a new model of urb of conscious and equitable and inclusive urban development uh, in this new space uh, that that will really be an anchor for the community and not uh, not a force pushing people out. Yeah, I think that's that's um, a whole nother way how you inspire new thinking, um, being out in in it, it, to your point. I mean, literally not in a basement, being out in the community, showing that a business it can it, a business itself can help others, that it, it isn't exclusive. A charity. Can, I mean, that, that it's not just a give, that there is a real business. I just actually just recently learned that entrepreneurial um, space like I, I was uh, it, for a minute, it made me a little like, ooh, does that feel right? But then if you think about it, it's it now, I mean, often, and the argument for not doing these things is because it's people taking and they're not giving and the, the old ugly argument. But here you're proving that, no, if you just give a little, there's so much to be earned and it's bigger than money, but it is there as well. So, I mean, it's that that capitalism meeting the charitable space that really shuts down right. just about well, that, any argument against it. That's the whole idea of social it. enterprise, right? We have both. We, 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 are, we are driven by improving social good, by you know, improving the lives making of, of many, making our system more equitable, but it has to be an enterprise. It has to be sustainable to, to have value. So we, we have to be able to show of how our work actually has a positive impact. So we've created a whole um, a, 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 a social return on investment formula using uh, third party um, numbers and valuations to show that on an annual basis, our work has about an $82 million positive impact uh, in the city. And that's because of keeping people, the re- reducing the recidivism rate, keeping people from going back to prison. It's from getting healthy food in areas where they didn't have healthy food. It's, it's reducing hunger. It's the it's the above living wage wages that we pay. Uh, it's the keeping, because of the health, the health benefits that we provide, uh, keeping people out of clinics. You know, so, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a big formula 
but it's really important for people to understand, as I said earlier, you know, that, that you know, while charity had become more about the redemption of the giver, and not about the liberation of the receiver, folks in this charitable sector had also let ourselves be marginalized and, and said, if someone basically saying, give us your pennies and we'll solve your dollar problem. That's outrageous. You know, who, who would say that? You know, Gina, like come into my bar, give, give me a couple, you know, give me, give me a dollar. I'll give you a $20 sandwich. You know, you, you, that's, that's sort of the model that, that, that philanthropy has let itself do. You know, that's where we've been. We're saying, no, no, this is not right. Become. Yeah. I was it, 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 so that's just the value yeah. of yeah. the being in, in a business and being in modeling the kind of employer we would like others to be has a significant value as well. Uh, so so we're really trying to challenge a lot of, of, of the systemic thinking uh, by coming up with these sort of innovative solutions to what we see as systemic problems. The business, it's it's in itself, I find what I find very amazing and what, you know, I, I really I really want to drive home when, on like is what you're doing is the fact that you were able to come up with an idea to turn your charity into a business that is actually formulating bigger business and has spun off other people that have worked for the kitchen to do something globally, right? And teach all of these people how to, you know, you know, shout it from the rooftops that this is what's happening. But I think that your your new layer of opening the cafes and doing that, and especially in a in a fast casual, quick casual world, uh, is is so smart because it doesn't stop in just DC, right? Like you could technically go across the river. You could have a, a brand that's founded by your by your um, by DC Central Kitchen that could be anywhere. And you're and you're teaching people to have jobs and you know have more of an impact in 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 being owners and management and where they're going to make the next level of income and how to take people out of a situation of of poverty or um, close to it or any of those things and and teaching them the, giving them the resources or the empowerment you know it starts mentally I think there's a lot of stigma about where you live and I always. And I and I try very very hard to. Whenever I'm helping or doing anything, it's you. You have to start with their mind. You have to give them the the mindset of you are just as valuable as anybody else, and that value and the evaluation of their their head head space where they're at and what they can achieve. Of course, you have an entry level position in a restaurant. Congratulations, you're not going to be there forever. And I tell everybody my story all the time. I'm like. I didn't start at the top. <laughs> I I couldn't wash another dish. If you, anybody has said to me, Gina, you wash dishes so well, it's because I wash dishes forever. <laughs> you know, like I I always I think that that's what is beautiful about the model. And I think you know as much as I will help as as long as everyone will let me. But I think that teaching and passing all your knowledge and having people pass on the knowledge and chef T who's amazing and all these people is how you get people out of their, that situation. And, and the cafes are brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant I, there, there's a whole, there's a hell of a lot to unpack in there. Gene. So I, I think we, we've got a, a couple thoughts that, that, you know, you really picked up on some very, very important aspects of what we do. Um, one, what is, is really cool is that, 
people have picked up on this model and that and we it's we're open source people pre-covid we, we had visitors coming from around the, the around the world and across the country on a regular on a weekly basis but you know we're not so bold as to think our idea will work exactly we can't be philadelphia central kitchen or chicago central kitchen or austin central kitchen or oakland central kitchen but people there can take what we've done and make it their own and that's what we want to do and we want to keep on building on this idea and scaling not necessarily us but scaling the idea so that more people can take it and that becomes this this you know that that kind of growth the scaling of the idea uh in and what the idea means to other people that's what we really want to see you know that's the thing that keeps us moving you know so so as we move into the the place where we're, we're doing more cafes where we're um an anchor tenant a uh, 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 just get to just think about this for a second right we are a 36,000 square foot anchor tenant in a luxury, a 480 unit uh, apartment unit, luxury mixed use building in, you know, one of the last up and coming neighborhoods of DC, right? And this, the area between our building and the DC United Stadium is yet to be developed. So this whole area is going to funnel down from the wharf in the yard and build up with DC Central Kitchen as an anchor, not Best Buy, not the Cheesecake Factory, not some other, you know, uh, not CVS, nothing, anything wrong with any of those. But we're not a national credit tenant. We're not a traditional first floor tenant in a, in a mixed use building. This is revolutionary, man. I mean, this is crazy cool, I think. Uh, and, and, and so, so becoming part of that community and showing what's possible, you know, that's really what we want to do. You know, that's the magic, I think, of, of what's happening and, and, you know, getting out of, out of the shelter, uh, and becoming more part of the economic dialogue in our community is what we're really after. That's awesome. I really like how you put that being part of the economic dialogue, because again, it's, 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 it's a business you're, you're contributing on so many levels and bringing it out of the shadows and literally out of the basement that, that all the things you're saying, they're just, it's just genius to me. And I think it's really interesting in how you're saying it can scale in other cities because what if all these other mics in the world are out there thinking about how to approach it. You then have such so many minds working on on it from so many different angles. It may not be per, like to your point. It may be different in Austin and L.A. and all the other all the other cities, but they are coming up with solutions that um, it, it'll become a synergy that that can spill out even past. Well, just, it's, it's just sharing the food these space. ideas. When I was in the restaurant business, you're always looking for ideas, right, Gina? Like, what can you take from someone else and make it better? Right. So I'll be honest, Every it day. was probably 2004, yes. 2005. I was visiting, I was in Vermont with some friends and I went to visit the Vermont Food Bank, which is one of the really cool food banks in, that do, do a lot of social enterprise work as opposed to just providing food. And the guy there, Ed Fox, had worked out this program where he was getting second tomatoes from farmers and turning into to, uh, tomato sauce and selling it to the local food system. So I was like, that's genius. So I ripped that idea off completely and took it in, in, down here and started, you know, started like, hey, can we make tomato sauce? That wasn't working out. But hey, we can still do the buying and purchasing and we can turn it into other products and we can. And that turned into our whole school food program. So, you know, again, sharing these ideas, collaborating these ideas uh, where, where it, you know, the, the value isn't, of, isn't in me keeping my, my intellectual property to myself. The value is in giving it away. The value is in sharing, you know, so that's, 
another advantage that we have. We can really rel, you know, just you know, revel in in the sharing because if other people do better, then we do better. Like, you know, show me where I'm wrong. You know, that that's what I want. <laughs> Mike, you just showed me your copywriter side. Um, I don't know if you know this, Gina. Mike was a copywriter. So he and I in another world, another planet could make a great creative team. <laughs> but but to your point, Mike, I mean, in all things creative, if you hold on to the idea and you don't let it breathe, then you don't know what it could become. You might have a real... I So in brainstorming, I always say, oh, if you've got a stinky idea, share it. Because you don't know that... I like to call that manure. It can fertilize a really good idea that somebody else may have never thought of if you didn't throw that stinker out there. So I always believe in sharing those creative ideas, no matter where you are in life. There's a children's book called What to Do with an Idea. And it's long story short, it teaches kids like, it's actually, it's one of those books like uh, Dr. Seuss's Places Will Go. And it's called What to Do with an Idea. And basically what it does is it helps um, teach people that every idea has some sort of value. But I think, you know, what you said, when you said, oh, you know, you can't keep it to yourself. That is something you're taught in, in definitely in higher learning always, right? Where they say, <laughs> if you keep anything to yourself yeah. or you don't teach what you know, you'll never know what you don't know. And I always wanted, people always say, oh, you know, t tell me everything you know. I'm like, tell me everything you don't, like, tell me, let me tell you everything I don't know because I need help with all those things. And then like, it will, it, all it does is, is, is make it better. But I have a question for you. How is it post pre COVID, you know, we have an, a, a tremendous um, shortage of workers for every restaurant, every aspect of restaurants from stadiums to, um, you know, I don't even know, a carts in malls, right? You don't have enough people to put there. And yet you have a training program where all of these people need jobs. And, you know, I wonder, you know, now we'll have post-COVID and everything in all these kitchens, you know, you were saying in different states and stuff, are they training people to work in these positions? Because I knew, I know that we just did that event with you last year, right before COVID in February, and I was going to hire, but then I had to let go of my entire team. And I'm like, what do you do now? What what is so how that's do a really you place people now? And, and I have to, you know, to be really honest, I've spent a, a fair amount of time talking to people about this. And as I said earlier, we we've spent about 32 years trying to tell people DC Central Kitchen is not about food, right? We're about empowerment. We're about training. Well, COVID came along, and we had to put our training program on hold. We tried to do one program. We couldn't bring people back here just because of the space and the way we have to do food now. It's just a much different machine, a much different operation. So we did a program at Nat Park, which was okay. Uh, and the Nats were great. The tremendous host. It was phenomenal. But it was it added a whole level of complexity and difficulty. At the very end of the class, one of the students tested positive, so the whole thing had to go. On high, and we just said, you know, we just can't, you, know, you can't keep whiplashing people back and forth. And to your point, Gina, setting people up, say, hey, come and do this program. And, and during pre-COVID times, you know, we, we had a 92% uh, employment rate, right? So chances were really good. If you worked, if you worked it and you, you did well, you were going to get a job. We can't say that now. So right now we are really focusing 
uh, on the needs of the community and meeting people where they are and getting them food in ways that we never have. These individually packaged meals, mobile meal sites, uh, food truck uh, servings, um, produce bags. We're doing 6,000 produce bags a week. Um, uh, we're moving out, I think, over 2 million pounds of produce, over 3.2 million meals that we put out into the community. One of the things that we've done in terms of food is I mentioned one of our businesses, we have a wholesale business where we sell cut fruits and vegetables, value added products to corner stores in the city's food deserts or food apartheid areas. Um, we, we discounted that product by 50% and, and made it uh, so, so the, the, the retailers could reduce their prices, but still maintain their margin. Uh, so, um, the community still had access to food, even if their incomes were impacted by the pandemic. Uh, and we're selling about 6,000 units of this food a week through these corner stores. Um, one of the things I'm really proud of, even though we, we, we can't be doing the, the training, because the, 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 we're doing these individual meals and we've added this bag production that we're now actually doing at the convention center, um, we've been able to hire some of our graduates that have been laid off or, or displaced at other locations. So when COVID started, we had 168 employees. Today we have 159. And what's really, yeah, and what's cool about That's that, great. they're all making more money. We've been able to do twice give them um, uh, extra discretionary contributions to their 401ks or start 401ks for those that didn't have them. Um, so everyone that's wanted and been able to work has continued to work. We've been able to bring more back. Uh, and it, we've been thoughtful about how we're doing this work. So we've spent over $1.6 million with local farms to purchase this produce that we're putting in these bags. Uh, and we've also subgranted about a half a million dollars of, of the, the incredible philanthropy that we've seen to smaller nonprofits, mostly east of the Anacostia River, uh, mostly run by people of color that just don't have the, the platform that DC Central Kitchen has had, the, the you know, the 30 plus year experience and name uh, building and, and recognition that's garnered. Um, but these are organizations that are really in touch with the immediate needs of the community. And post COVID, when we can step back into the training business, we're going to need other folks to pick up and, and continue this work. They're, they're, so we're not just keeping them going for today. We're trying to make them sustainable into the future. Um, because, you know, when, when we all get vaccine, there's still going to be people that are suffering for a long time, uh, because of this, of the effects of this pandemic. So we, we can't afford to forget or not be ready to continue to do more into the future. Yeah, I don't think you're going to sleep much. I just sat in on a Arlington Economic Development Conference, a virtual conference, and the numbers that were coming out from the state were staggering and what the employment looks like and how long it's going to take us to recover. And they're, of course, leveraging learnings through the Great Depression and what that looks like and, and using that as pivot points, let's call that, I guess. But it's very, uh, you won't uh, lack for things to do, I don't think, Mike. <laughs> so the rest of us need to, to make sure we chip in. Um, to that point, I know in the past, because I've done it, June, I went down and I broke down some chickens. I was really good at it, apparently. So because I didn't get to do the socializing, they just kept giving me more and more chickens. I was telling Mike about it. I was like, I never got to do the other half because I was apparently really good at it. And they just kept giving me more and more. I was there to work, damn it. Um, yeah, what as, can as people I do to help? To, uh, others, usually 
as you point out, Louise, when I say that, when people ask that, I say the first, come down and volunteer with us. You know, we want you to get to know us, get to know the men and women that, that work with us that, that are GG Central Kitchen, but we can't do that now. So as much as I hate to say it, go online, dccentralkitchen.org, hit that donate button. Uh, no, no, understand that that, that support, um, will, will get funneled immediately into the community. It will find the place it needs to be. Um, you know, that we are again hard at work doing this. We're doing about 12,000 meals a day. Um, you know, that adds up as Gina well knows, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, um, you know, so, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot to be done and, and we, we are, uh, again, mindful that the support, much of the support that we get is intended for the larger community and that we're going to be thoughtful about doing that. So, um, you know, and then, and then when we get to the new space post COVID, come down and, and break down some chickens with us and, and cut some peppers. And, and if you're really lucky, you'll get the onions that, you know, that's for the special people. Well, good thing I'm good with the chickens. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gina, do you think it's time? Mike can't join us, but he's willing. He's going to take it home with him. He's going to have homework tonight. Yeah. So, yeah, let's make a cocktail for sure. Uh, what? Well, I had to grab some ice. So hold, please, for one second, because I was, I was too busy, like just watching. Okay. Well, no when, worries. When Gina gets no. ice. Let, let me just say, if, if I could, real quick, that that. It, um, it's so important for everyone to understand. And I know people that are on this, that are listening, understand that restaurants are more than a place to get an amazing cocktail or, or delicious food. It's a place that, like the kitchen, builds community. It creates community. It creates jobs. It creates family. It creates opportunity. It tru- they truly are the cornerstones of our community. I'm a recovering restaurateur myself and have long been involved in the community. And, and I know that when Robert Egger, 32 years ago, dreamed up this idea, most people thought it was batshit crazy, but not the restaurant and hotel community and hospitality community. And if it were not for that amazing, amazing community, DC Central Kitchen would not be where we are today. And we would not be looking at the future that we're looking at tomorrow. So it's really important for everyone to understand that. And Gina has been at the, the, the forefront of that and an incredible friend and supporter and just generous beyond belief uh, for years and years and years. So we cannot give cannot possibly give enough love to all of my brothers and sisters out there in the restaurant world. I feel the same about DC Central Kitchen. Of course, you, Mike, and I've, I've known so many people for so long. And I always say, and anybody that knows me or listens to this show now for sure knows that it doesn't take much to change people's lives, right? It doesn't take, you don't have to give a million dollars, give what you can and you'll see, how, you'll see it work in your community. And when you can't, and when you can't give money in, in another time when COVID ends or mm-hmm. when vaccine has happened, give time because there was a long time where I couldn't give financial help and I would help raise money or do everything I could do. And now I could do both. And I feel like that is, you know, where everybody wants to be. It's just a better future, right? So Absolutely. one day we're going to be old. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I want somebody, I want somebody well educated, happy, taking care of me (laughs) later in life. So I'm going with it. All right. So I've known Mike for a long, long time. And I know that he likes, you know, a little bit of a, you you like cocktails. Cocktails are delicious, right? They take the edge off. I've been known to enjoy a cocktail, Dina. Yes. 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 (laughs) And we live in DC and something for me that no matter whatever I do, I always think of um, cherry blossoms with DC. And I realize 
that it is not quite cherry blossom season just yet. It's uh, it's coming, you know. But you know, but when you think of DC in general, you just think of those beautiful monuments and and so anyway, there is this product that I love, and it is um, a creme de, creme de cherry, pretty much is what it is. It's creme de gratte, and it is a delicious product. It is um, super yummy, and it's in, from France. And it just kind of like brings the season t- for me, like kind of like that seasonal, like spring is coming. It's just beautiful to drink. It's a nice cordial. You can pour it over shaved ice if you want, or you can make a cocktail with it. And that's what we're going to do. So we are going to pour, what is Louise? Is it one ounce? I think it's one ounce, right? Oh, you're asking me? Oh my goodness. I could, I got it for you, sister. You have- I know, I don't have my notes. One ounce. Here's my notes in front of me, right? <laughs> Look, it says, go going to park. My children wrote this to me. All right, it's one ounce, right? So one ounce of uh, creme de cherry. Yeah, I got it. And one and a half ounces. Of gin. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, and then we're going to do um, one and a half ounces of gin. And I'm using uh, a Rieger's gin. I mean, we could use a nice uh, DC gin um, as well. Rieger's is from the Midwest. I'm, I'm, well, I'm doing Virginia. I have Virginia. Look, Cockton Tree. What do you have? Cockton Tree? I do. I do. I can't, yeah, I can't see it in front of me. And now we're going to do, so this drink doesn't uh, call for a garnish. You can use like flowers, whatever. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to cut our lemon in half. And we're going to just use a fresh lemon in this because it's really important to like really open up the other parts of the ingredients. So, and if you need to count it out, it is three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. And then we are going to use, is it is it one ounce of simple, Louise? I'll tell you that in two seconds. Your recipe calls for half an ounce of simple syrup. Half an ounce, see, I wasn't paying attention. It's like my deli container, I took, the, I took this from work. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, all right, so simple syrup. If you're at home and you're making this, you wanna do a one-to-one ratio. And you want your water nice and hot, add your sugar, stir it. Don't overcook it, it should be clear. If you have an amber colored simple syrup, it's not quite simple syrup. It is a little bit of caramelized syrup. So just be careful when you use that. All right, we're gonna put ice on top and now we're just gonna shake this. And I'm actually gonna pour mine into chilled coop, but you are more than welcome to do what, either pour it on ice if you'd like. If you're feeling that you wanna turn this recipe into a punch, you could do six times the amount of each ingredient and then fill it and then fill a bowl with one bottle of champagne. And that would be, that would be like 16 people. All right, here we go. All right, we're gonna pour this into a chilled glass. You have a pretty nice blush color. And in the right season, you should be able to pull some sort of flower or something really pretty to put on top. I am gonna use a blossom from my purse called a pocketbook plant. And I'm gonna use one of the blossoms and I'm gonna put it on top. Cause even though it's just for me, I still want it to be beautiful. And that's it. That's cute. I love awesome. it. Awesome, that looks delicious. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Cheers. Ooh, that's lovely. Mike, you're missing out. I can't wait to have this one. I know, I know. I'm getting the sense that, yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You have to bartend at home right. tonight. I love it. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for sharing that, Gina. That's awesome. We'll have to do it at an event, right? We'll, we'll, we'll replay this at an event soon when people can come. 
So where are we going to go to get all these recipes? Uh, we're going to go to Designated Drinker Dot Show for this recipe and some tips and tricks and how tos. And again, if you missed it, it's Designated Drinker Dot Show. Yes, and so we'll make sure that we have links to um, that go out to DC Kitchen, Mike. We'll make sure they're all there. Make sure that somebody can get quickly to that uh, donate button, and as well as it will also be in our episode notes. So if you're listening, just scroll uh, scroll down, and you'll find all the all of those links will be right there as well. So cheers. All right. So what's, what's big, what's next, Mike? The big, the big thing are the, are the, the two projects that I mentioned earlier, the, the library at MLK or the cafe at MLK library, which is, it's going to be amazing for us to be part of, uh, in a building that is dedicated to Dr. King's vision and message of economic inclusion and to be a, 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 a space within that space that, that lives that, that models that, that's going to be powerful. Uh, and then again, this, the space at Buzzer Point is going to be an incredible um, opportunity for us, for the community, really to, to think about development in a different way, to think about what inclusion, what equity means. I mean, we are at a place in time right now that it, although painful, uh, incredibly painful with the pandemic, with the recession and, and with this, the racial reckoning and upheaval and turmoil that we are facing but i do hope that that if there is a silver lining to come out of this very these very dark clouds is that we are more open to the idea that we do have to change the way we do things so that everyone has a has a fair shot you know and, and it's and, and and that that it's not a binary uh exercise you don't you don't lose because someone else wins I mean, that like if, if we could just get one thing out of our American psyche, that would for me, that would be it. If we we, we all win when someone wins and, and that may be hard to understand, but that's that's what, I, what we believe at the kitchen and what I hope we're going to live and show and share when we're down at Riverpoint. Uh, last time I checked, we are only as strong as our weakest link. So absolutely. Uh, all right, Gina, I think this one's you now. OK. All right, Mike. So. You know, in this day and age, everybody has some whimsical, uh, magical animal that they identify themselves with or they identify themselves with some majestic, you know, real day animals such as the um, bald eagle because it's a symbol of America and freedom and you could do anything if you're the bald eagle. If you could be one ingredient, whether it's for cooking or for cocktails, what would it be and why? Uh, wow. So just for everyone listening, this was not a question that I was coached on or given any kind of um, hint that it would be happening. So the, this answer is coming completely off the top of my head, but I'm going to say salt. Um, and I'm going to say salt because salt gets to be in a lot of different places. It gets to mix with a lot of different things. And I think one of the theories behind salt is it, it brings out the best in whatever it's around. So if I if I can do that, then I'm going to be really, really happy. So salt. That is an excellent answer. And what a way to end the show. So cheers to that for sure, Louise. Cheers. Cheers. Absolutely. Cheers, Mike. Cheers. Cheers, Mike. To when we can be together again. I can't wait. Thank you for coming. Thanks for all that you do. And if there's anything, I know Gina is always there to help you, but if there's anything we at the show can do, all you have to do thank is ask. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for all that you Please. do. Be good. Be safe, everybody. Be safe. We're almost there. 
The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.